Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Shop. On this Inside Intercom mini-series, we're exploring the world's retail and e-commerce, the past, the present and the future. Over the past four episodes, we've delved into the physical history of the store, how our habits have changed and what's fueling the shift online. Today's episode is the final episode in the series, Present. And we're taking a look at how the holiday shopping period we're about to enter, if you haven't already begun, will redefine the future of e-commerce and retail. We'll also be hearing from some of the people tasked with making sure the presents you buy for friends and family this year make it from your computer screen to your front door. As we've heard in recent episodes, the worldwide events of the last year have had an extraordinary impact on how we trade and how we shop. What's interesting to see is that so many of these trends and evolutions were happening anyway, but they've just been accelerated in the last nine months to what is essentially a retail revolution. And while it all feels very revolutionary with the speed that it's happening, a core theme we've heard from guests across the series is that these technologies are actually bringing us back to a more traditional way of shopping, where customer experience, personalization, and even localization are at the forefront. Could this revolution, in fact, be a renaissance? One person who's observed the changes of the last few decades with interest is Sandy Stein. Sandy is a true retail expert. Having started his career as a retail designer, he's since authored a book on the topic called Retail Schmietel. 100 years, two immigrants, three generations, 400 projects. And he also finds time to contribute to Forbes. To kick us off for this episode, we wanted to step back a bit with him and examine some of the broader themes we've heard about so far. I grew up in a retail family in uh, the Midwest, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and that was occurring during the mid-century, the 50s and 60s. And the store, my family was in retailing. In fact, I'm a third generation entrepreneur involved in, in retail. But my family was in retailing all of my life and my father and his identical twin brother were at the head of what started out as, I refer to it as accidental retailing. It was a store downtown Milwaukee that looked more like a garage sale than actual retail. It was anything but a brand. It was, they bought what they bought, they sold what they sold, and it was a curiosity in Milwaukee for a lot of the folks that would come and uh, peruse whatever new they got in, and it ran the gamut of everything from toys and the first transistor radios to fake vomit and clocks that ran backwards. And I'm not kidding about those last two. (laughs) But the twins, the Stein brothers, evolved from accidental retailers to brand builders. And this all happened in a formative period for me and my teens as they lost their first lease tried to figure out what they were going to do with their lives and became inspired and started what became one of the defining brands uh, in the upper Midwest and one of the first discount health and beauty aid concepts in in the country. Uh, What was interesting for me and what kind of got me uh, booted into a career of, of retail design is I found myself actually laying out their first stores in this new retail endeavor on a drafting table in my bedroom uh, while I was still in high school. Now, mind you, none of us really knew what we were doing, but we were all doing it together. (laughs) And so that formative experience for me really became sort of my purpose in life. And it was empowering for a a teenager to actually be making contributions to what ultimately became a very successful retailing endeavor for, for the entire family. 
And I guess, you know, you make the point in the book that retail is very much in your blood and it's clearly been a constant throughout your life. So what are the evolutions and changes that you've observed happening within retail in that lifetime? It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting question and it's one that I've sort of been pondering quite a bit in these recent years of my uh, indefinite semi-retirement, <laughs> which uh, began as I was winding uh, my 34-year business as a retail planner, beginning to do a lot more writing and ultimately uh, wrote my book. In a lot of ways, I see us coming back to retailing as it was about 100 years ago. We're coming back on uh, something that I refer to and have written about called clienteling. This phenomenon where, as it occurred in the early 1900s with the department stores, you would go in and the folks at the store really knew you and they knew what you wanted. They had built in a relationship around your being a consumer, a frequent visitor at their store. And there was a bond between you and that person behind the counter. And I, I'm afraid that with the evolution of retail and the growth that has occurred throughout the 20th century, we've lost that. And I think now we're going to come back to it. Uh, we're coming back to it utilizing a lot of new technology. But I think that the survivors of retailing across most of the retail sectors are going to win because they have found a way to reinvigorate that bond between the consumer and the retailer or the brand itself in understanding who that customer is, understanding their specific needs, tastes, and objectives in life and are able to create a highly personalized experience for that consumer. Unfortunately for so many retailers that are falling along the way, they have lost sight of that consumer-centric model and have in many ways commoditized themselves through building too many units, through undifferentiated products and experiences, and basically the commoditization of their, of their brands. And that's unfortunate, but it has become part and parcel of the winners and losers as we're uh, seeing a, the most significant shakeout in retailing in perhaps 100 years. I think one of the things that we're all recognizing is that retail over the last hundred years has been more evolutionary than revolutionary. And the compression of change, both culturally and economically, over the course of the last decade, and in particular, the phenomenal growth of e-commerce. This has brought about a reckoning for the retailers that couldn't evolve fast enough and couldn't understand the nature of change and weren't willing to invest in what was necessary to accommodate what has become a revolutionary change in retail as opposed to the previous uh, generation or the previous hundred years of evolutionary change. You know, in your book, you go right back to that early 20th century period and you describe the technological innovations and the social changes. So you've got street lighting, you've got transport, you've got, you know, cars slowly coming in. And then there's the social changes with high immigration to America, this melting pot culture that really drove that first sort of golden age of retail, for want of a, of a better word. I suppose you could also describe that as the last revolutionary period. Do you think in 2020, 
we really are on the cusp of, of another revolution because the last two decades have seen remarkable tech developments and the last year alone profound sociological change in terms of how we shop. You know, I think that there's been a commonality. COVID has been a phenomenon none of us could have possibly imagined even a year ago. And the onset of this profoundly disrupting element to all of our lives has forced a reckoning of sorts or a clarification of the importance of trust between the consumer and the retailer. And the retailers that have survived and those that will probably proliferate and win in the long run are doing so through transparency, through creating a customer relationship that is built on trust. Trust, I think, is replacing convenience, value, price, or just about anything else in the retail metric that matters most. So these companies that have really gone out of their way to create a sense of, of comfort, of cleanliness, of really caring deeply about their consumer and giving their consumer the type of customer experience online, offline, and all of these other various combinations of buy online, pick up in store, buy online, you know, pick up at curb, home delivery, all of these things came out of a willingness. And in a lot of cases, the kinds of investments that many of these successors have made over the past the 10 years, I think going forward, we're going to see the fact that Customers are comfortable with dealing with businesses that are like-minded, that are investing in the community, that are giving back, that are placing a priority on how well they're actually paying their, their salespeople, how well they're being responsible in terms of being a sustainable employer at a time when all too many retailers have been so fixated on the bottom line that they've lost the larger reason for their being in business. And I think a lot of that might be largely driven by the influence of the mobile phone. Do you think there's something to be said for the argument that the influence of the cell phone or the mobile phone, as we call it, will be as profound as the influence that the car once had on retail? Absolutely. And and I think that there's an interesting kind of side note to that. I'm a real car guy. And growing up as a teen, I remember having a calendar in my bedroom uh, once I turned 15. And in the United States, or at least in the part of the country I was living in, your 16th birthday was when you were able to get a license. And for 365 days, as I went from being a 15-year-old to a 16-year-old, I was crossing off the days on my calendar because that's how important getting that driver's license was to me. And today, that telephone, that iPhone, has surpassed that importance in the life of young people and profoundly has changed, uh, you know, even how young people think of cars. Many of them don't even get driver's licenses anymore because this iPhone has replaced that car in terms of the element of importance and the center of their lives as it has to do with social media, as it has to do with their very definition of who they are. And as a lot of people have referenced or related their own personal brands, 
So absolutely, the phone has become a transformational thing on every level. And I think that as we begin to see this connectivity between online and offline, the terms being used, omni-channel, or I like to use the term uh, unified commerce, that phone and the influence that social influencers are having and now micro influencers where young people themselves are becoming the creators, the salespeople for their followers that has tipped marketing on its ear because no longer are they advertising companies or the marketers in charge, it's really come down to the social media influencers that are driving sales and behavior. I think we're going to begin to see more of that social selling taking place even in the store. And I think that as micro-influencers are recognized for the power that they're having, uh, we're going to see social selling happening in stores that are going to create reasons for customers to come back into the stores and engage with their social media heroes and those that are actually becoming the spokesperson for a lot of these brands. And I think as we look at the things that we're truly valuing now, authenticity is among one of the top emotional values. We really want to buy things that are genuine, that are grounded in quality, in originality, in craftsmanship. I think that we're coming into a new time of originality, of things that are being shared that have roots in craftsmanship, in things that are uh, handmade, that have a history or origin or originality that is more important than ever before. And I think we're seeing that happen and will continue to see. I think scarcity has become, as we, as we see people line up for the drops of certain athletic shoes and the fact that they know that there are only going to be X hundred and they want to be among them. I think that whole notion of limiting offerings and edited offerings are part and parcel of the new economy and the new markets that we drowned ourselves in ubiquitous quantities of everything. And that's why so many of the retailers have have failed. And we're now going to go back to smaller offerings of more special products and specialized niches that are going to be developing across a whole broad area of product and and services. And small is the new big, and uh, that's something that is going to be a refreshing change where it really will make a difference from one area of town to another, one town to another, that retail will become more of the specialty and more of the localized offering that it was maybe a half century ago when we're kind of coming back to the future and a reinvention of uh, specialty retailing around the values that are now really important to people. So localized marketplace is going to be very important and is going to be what developers are going to have to uh, work on being co-creators of. 
Well, you know, in in Back to the Future, the movie, when he first set out in his uh, original time travel, he did it from the parking lot of a shopping mall. Right, Scott. So that's very apt. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that, but you're abs- yeah. you're absolutely right. <laughs> But no, you know, what you're saying there is actually so encouraging, I think. And it's 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 so lovely to to think that the future of retail is perhaps niche. And the wonderful thing that e-commerce offers these niche or specialist shops is that they're no longer hindered or or limited to just their local community. That, you know, they can offer something really special and really exciting to their catchment area, but online their catchment area is the world. Absolutely. And what you just said is going to force a whole new metric about the relationship between online and offline. The number of stores in a given marketplace, and and by stores, I mean no longer spaces that are storing product, but but spaces that are creating experiences around the product. The ratio of the number of those in a given market are now going to be different because of online. You will not need 20 of these stores in a marketplace when maybe two or three becoming the places of celebrating that brand, of having events around the product, but not being the locale to pick up the product and take it home because the internet does that more effectively. You know, delivery services have now become such an integral part of that retail ecosystem in a way that's much closer to the consumer, I think, than it would have ever been before. And as we enter this most intense period of online shopping that many companies will have ever seen, who do you think are the really successful innovators in that space? And, and what do they need to do to thrive and survive? That's, a, that's an interesting question, and, it, and it's a big question. And I think that the companies that have been investing, that have recognized they have to be where the customer is, offer what the customer wants, and deliver it through any of the channels are the ones that are, that are truly the winners And that has required significant investment and it has forced companies in the United States like Target to buy these third-party delivery entities and integrate them into their brand because at every level of, at every touch point along the brand, you have to execute at at a high level to fulfill the purchase to you know, control the f- fulfillment of the purchase across all of the online and offline touch points. So yes, we want it when we want it, where we want it, and at the price we want to pay. <laughs> and that has put the onus of responsibility on the part of the retailer to meet the customer's needs, which have never been greater and the challenge is never more challenging. But yeah, fulfillment is integrated as choice and price in the survival of any given brand. And that's why we're now to the point where the baseline is buying it and having it the same day. And that would have been unimaginable even a couple of years ago. But that becomes table stakes now for almost all retailers. If my customer wants it that same day, I have to find a way to get it to her that same day. And that's kind of amazing. And it's amazing that it's been able to be accomplished but at a great cost to the retailer and effect to their bottom line. And the kinds of efficiencies that are going to continue to be forced in that whole supply chain are part and parcel of what's the future of uh, retail distribution. Part and parcel of the online retail experience is indeed how your parcels are delivered to you. 
There can't be a person listening today who hasn't availed of a delivery service, at least at some point in the last month or even week. In a short period of time, these services have become truly essential. And it's fair to say that we're all finding that a convenient and well-executed delivery system can actually be truly fulfilling. Here to tell us all about what that fulfillment process looks like from the other side is Des Travers. Des is CEO of DPD Ireland, which is part of the Europe-wide parcel delivery group. All our customers have a varying amount of needs, but essentially the same thing at the end of the day, that they want a good delivery service. You know, to me, the final mile delivery is an extension of them. And, you know, I'm very particular about my brand, my uniform, my driver's timeliness, you know, all those sort of stuff. So we start off really with the sales process and we try and sell that to the retailer that they're buying a quality service. You know, and our team assess at the very beginning, you know, even at the, you know, nearly first calls, the type of customer they are, you know, what they're really looking for, whether they're looking for that level of quality, whether they're looking for, I mean, if they're looking for a low price, then they're not for us really. And basically we sell them the premium service, the best we can offer and the best we can do. From that then, really it gets into things like returns, uh, what products they're shipping, what sizes boxes are, what the packaging is like. And we basically uh, go through all that process with them to make sure. And we have taken, I'll give you an example, uh, we have O'Brien's Wines and we've taken their box into the hub and we've run it round the hub and round the trailers and basically nearly abused it to make sure that it can go through the system properly. So things like that, we will go an extra length to make sure that their product can go through our network and through our system. Our system is a conveyor system where the only people with an automated conveyor. So we need to get it through our conveyor system and on and off the trucks and all that sort of stuff. So we do all that pre-start with the customer. And then basically then we uh, then talk to them about the branding, the messaging, the alerts. The text, so you'll have had you've had a delivery, so you'll know you get a one-hour delivery window, and it tells what time the driver's coming. And we go through all that with the customer. We make sure that we get uh, emails and phone numbers and all that sort of stuff. So we prepare all that first, and then basically when we have all that and we have agreed a price, then effectively we give them our shipping solution, which is a, a integrated shipping platform that allows them to print labels and track and trace their parcels and be able to watch it also. So it's quite a elaborate process to go through uh, to bring a customer on board and start the uh, process with us. As you said, it is an extension of the retailer's own brand because ultimately, as a consumer, you're not going to have a positive experience with the retailer if you're let down by that final piece in the puzzle, which is actually something arriving at your door. Well, it's also a cost for them when it doesn't arrive at the door because then they have to chase the, the carrier to find out where it is and the consumer's ringing them and then it's a bad experience and they're very reluctant then to come back to you and back to your website to buy anything off you if they've had to spend a number of days chasing down where the parcel is or where the, the delivery is. They have your money but they don't have their parcel, they're not happy about it. So it, it, that element of cost sometimes is ignored by the, the retailers when they start looking at it but really when you start getting into that you fairly chop up some fairly hefty charges on phones and people chasing parcels very quickly if it's not good. You know, I, know, I dare say a lot of your uh, listeners, well, you know, they're interested in how many people come back to and repeat and why they come back to and repeat and they always believe that it's down to the fact that their website's great or that their offer's great or that the price is great. But a lot of the time they come back to them because they're reliable. Looking kind of more broadly at the e-commerce kind of industry, what sort of changes have you noticed over the last 10 years or so as people have been more accustomed to online shopping? Well, look, the, the one of the real thing, if you go back 10 years, 10 years is a long time, but if you go back 10 years, then there's a big huge shift in the delivery profile. So very early on in our business, we would have been a B2B carrier. So therefore, we'd be collecting from a business and we would deliver to another business. And, you know, we were probably probably 95% of all our traffic was uh, B2B. If you take outside of COVID, we were probably 50-50 pre-COVID on uh, B2B and B2C. And since COVID, we're probably about 80% B2C now. So effectively, the shift has been that people are getting parcels delivered to their home rather mm. than parcels. And, you know, it's this is not just a convenience thing or anything else. This is a... Uh, online purchase so they're not actually going to the shop to buy it 
and they're not expecting to go to the shop to collect it. They're expecting it to get delivered to their door. And the expectation of consumers now is that they want to self-serve and they want a seamless experience and they want to treat their, friend, their driver as friendly and basically they want it landed in their door as quick as they can. That makes sense. And within that time period, then, Des, you know, when you take all the technological advances of the last 20 or 10 years, as you say, it is a long time, but like these have brought about a dramatic shift in how we shop. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know what sort of techno- new technologies in that time frame that you've embraced that are that's facilitating this. Uh, well, look, there's a number of things. The first thing, you know, if you go onto any of our websites or our chat or our bot, uh, all those things are relatively new and they can, people can go on and look and see them. And, and they're now, I mean, a, a bot is now standard, which uh, three years ago a bot wasn't even heard of in terms of uh, in terms of technology and delivering. And, and for us, you know, at the moment anyway, the bot actually answers about 28% of all the inquiries that come into DPD. So it's a very cost-effective way for us to answer a question, and it's a very quick way for a, a consumer to get an answer. And again, it's really about speed and delivering the quality information to the consumer when they want it. And really for the shipper actually, what that is, is that they want us to answer the question to the consumer so that they don't have to answer it themselves and they just want to seamless end delivery. So so a lot of that technology that we brought in, you know, we were first to probably, and still the only company to give a one hour delivery window the facilities to be able to make it easy for the consumer and the shipper to get information from us and to deliver the fabulous service, which is, you know, we, we monitor our service every single day. We deliver a 99% plus service level. Every single depot, every single driver, every single delivery is monitored and checked against a BI system that tells us exactly how we did yesterday and, and which depots were great and which depots weren't great and were not always great but we do set such a high standard that, uh, that when we consider ourselves failures, we're still uh, probably in the middle of the pack for everybody else. But the reality is that that's what the consumer wants. When we look at this fulfillment infrastructure, it's easy to think that it's been driven entirely by new private companies and entrepreneurs. But a national infrastructure like we're talking about can't really thrive without the input of perhaps national or public bodies. In Ireland, at least, our postal service is embracing this momentum, moving with the times just as they move our goods from shop to home. We caught up with Aveen Eviston from OnPost, the state-owned provider of postal services in the Republic of Ireland. OnPost is the Irish uh, postal service. We've been through a massive transformation for the past number of years, uh, moving largely from a letters company delivering parcels to a parcels company delivering mail. Um, so we see Ampost now is split into two businesses. So we have Ampost Retail and we have Ampost Commerce. And Ampost Commerce um, manage the delivery of the mails and parcels for the company. So we operate through a network of depots and provide uh, the most extensive delivery network in the country. The Dublin Parcel Hub, or DPH as we call it, is our national distribution centre. And we have another three mails and parcels hubs. These hubs feed into a nationwide network of uh, 111 delivery service units, and they feed into then the local delivery offices uh, from which the parcels and the packets are delivered. So we operate approximately 3,000 vehicles nationwide, uh, which underpin the network and service all collection and delivery requirements. And we employ nearly 9,000 full-time employees. So we're one of the largest employers in Ireland as well. So really, we're, we're one of the, the, the biggest players in the market in Ireland. You mentioned there, Avine, about how your business model has kind of changed over the last few years, where you've, you've gone from becoming a, a mail company that delivers parcels to a parcel company that delivers mail. I find that really, really interesting. What sort of other changes have you noticed over the last 10 years or so as people have become more accustomed to online shopping? Yeah, well, as you said, you know, there is a a decline globally in the letters uh, business. So really, OnPost identified a huge opportunity around parcels. And as you say, um, that massive growth in e-commerce. If you look at Ireland's retail online sales, they were reported at about 2.5 billion 
in 2019, which was up 17% on the previous year. So Ireland has a much faster growth trajectory than, than our European and global neighbours. And the big changes and advances that have been made in the 10 years are that retailer strategies are much more focused online. You know, the, the speed of delivery as well plays a huge role. Uh, customer expectations are much higher than ever before and they want choice. So people expect their purchases quickly and cheaply. And Unpust as an organization has had to, you know, recognize this and adapt and work very hard to create customer-centric products. But like when you take the wider ecosystem and all of the technological advances that we've seen over the last 20 or so years, there's been a real dramatic shift, I think, in, in how it all works. What sort of new technologies have Unpust embraced within that time period that have facilitated this? Yeah, and as I said before, it's all about the customer and the customer's needs. Um, And with customer demanding speed, purchase notifications and more delivery options, Unpust have introduced many more services than we would have had even three years ago. So we give customers as much choice as possible. So we've recently gone live with our second automated parcel machine, which is going to allow us to process an extra 250,000 parcels a week. Also then, each post person operates using a scanner that would allow them to scan this parcel at every point of delivery. And the customer gets those notifications via text or via email. So we've recently upgraded all of our scanners as well. And as I mentioned before, the click and collect services that we offered. So that's a new advancement that that has come over the years when, when again, customers just need more choice, they need convenience. It's funny actually, at the moment, we're seeing a lot more successful deliveries because everybody's at home. Home is nearly HQ now for, for most people. So we're getting deliveries successfully delivered more than ever before. I know a lot of people who have spent mornings or afternoons just wistfully staring out the window waiting for the postman to arrive with their with their uh, presents that they've bought themselves online. And there's nothing yeah. more exciting now than the sound of the letterbox. I mean, there's nothing else. No, and you know, in a way, it kind of sort of goes back to the old school relationship that people would have had with their postal worker. Well, that's it. And, and I think particularly in rural Ireland, you know, the, the post person is, you know, that trusted person. The relationships are really, really strong. But now we're noticing, you know, who our post person is because we're here when they arrive or, you know, it's a lovely sound to hear in the morning that, that something's arriving in your letterbox or there's the, the doorbell ringing with that purchase that you've made. So there is that excitement, I think, again, that, that might have been lost over the years um, when it comes to receiving physical items into the home. This revolution that Sandy talked about earlier in the episode really has started to look like more of a renaissance. We've observed a trend throughout this series of consumers and businesses rediscovering long-forgotten rituals and habits around shopping. But it's not just older practices that are coming to the fore. Older people are embracing these new technologies too. Here's Des again. I think the other trend is that we definitely see people that are of an older generation that wouldn't normally have gone online are definitely online now and are definitely purchasing it. It's not just the millenniums and, and, and the younger people that traditionally would have been uh, the online profile. Now just about everybody, grannies, uncles, aunts, all of them are all online shopping now. The Irish Times reported back in August that your deliveries had doubled during lockdown and extra depots had been added as a result. So knowing that, you know, we're in lockdown again at the moment and that people are shopping for their Christmas presents or holiday presents, what are you anticipating for that coming season? Well, we've already seen it. We've already seen we're more than double last night, as an example, and through our hub was more than double the same day last year. And it's been, a, it's been an unprecedented year, 2020. We started off in January and February. We were quite strong with new business. It was quite good. But then went into the COVID world. The whole thing just went ridiculous. We actually fell behind 95,000 parcels in COVID because we couldn't deal with the volume of parcels that was coming through into our network. And we caught back up again. 
And then we spent the whole of the summer building new depots and, and extending our scale, basically scaling ourselves up to be able to deal with what we were coming. We've seen the COVID volumes that came to us in the summer, we've seen about 40% of them to remain with us and have continued right through the whole year. So certainly people haven't gone back to their old habits previous in terms of that. And then the other thing then that happened after that then is obviously we were preparing for Black Friday or Cyber Weekend, which is always mm. a big 40% lift for us and for every carrier, to be honest with you. Everybody gets a share of that. And, you know, we've scaled up in every single department, right through our hub, right through our line hall, right through the delivery part to make sure we're ready to do it. And as I say, at the moment anyway, so far, touch wood, we haven't missed a beat so far. Yeah, it's looking good so far. So then, Des, outside of your own offering in terms of what you do and the technologies that you offer retailers, are there any other technological products or kind of, we call it a tech stack, that retailers in 2020 should be using that you're aware of? Well, even for ourselves, right, we've spent a lot of time and energy in building our own social media presence. And I'm sure that uh, most retailers, you know, have some sort of social media presence. One of the things that we have found over the uh, last 12 months or so in doing that is that we've managed to get an awful lot of good messages out into the uh, wider world and not necessarily just the delivery message but just the overall level of service quality all those sort of stuff out through social media so i think a decent social media service or medium is certainly necessary obviously a great web presence now is essential because uh, you know we've gone away from the bricks and mortar stores and you need to create a virtual shop window. And if your website doesn't do that, and it's not easy to navigate from, then basically you're, you're uh, just turning consumers off. Now, this is simple stuff to tech people. They, they know that already. And uh, But the other thing I would say is that the, our, one of our biggest strengths now is our BI system. And uh, we have a phenomenal BI team behind us now that are able to watch every day what is happening in our business what's moving, what's not moving, what customers are busy, what customers are not busy, and really we're able to really tailor our requirements to that. And I think that that's something for a retailer uh, is essential. Um, I remember five years ago or so, I was dealing with Matalan in the UK, and I was amazed at the back-end office that they had, where they had probably 40 or 50 people just watching everybody else's platforms to see was any of their goods being sold at a better rate than theirs, and they just adjusted their website to suit that and basically got the purchases all the time. And it was one of the first insights we had to somebody that was really switched on to what was going on in their marketplace. It seems that it's crucial to keep an eye on the competition as much as it is to watch for future trends and technologies. That can seem a tough task when the pace of change is as gruelling as it's been this year. The remarkable acceleration that we've seen has been transformative and, as we've said, will likely inform how things look in a few years. So with all of this going on, how are these distributors using this time to plan and map for that future? Here's Avine again. You know, what we've seen in the last nine months, as you said, is... is you know, that we've nearly been transported into 2024. You know, it really is a time machine. And you'll see yourself that people that wouldn't have ordinarily bought online now have no choice but. So just like working from home has become the norm for many, online shopping is the same. And this, you know, we've seen parcel volumes absolutely have catapulted over the last nine months from the first uh, lockdown in March. And, you know, it's been a challenge for us, but I think that we've done really well in terms of of getting people's items to them, in terms of helping retailers as well. So obviously there were a lot of retailers without an online presence who have had to get themselves online really quickly as their stores closed. So this has allowed many, you know, to continue trading in these really challenging times. So really what I'm saying is that, you know, this was all in train um, in preparation for Brexit, but it's been really timely during COVID as well. And Avine, it's been reported in the media recently, you know, I mean, we're just talking about the last nine months or so, but really we're getting into crunch time, I guess, um, yeah. for companies like your own. It has been reported in the media that you've seen volumes increase as much as 130% year on year. So what are you actually anticipating for the coming holiday? See, what sort of extra measures have you put in place? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy figure, really, you know, and, and something that, you know, really at the end of the day, and, and the word unprecedented has been used, I'd say it's the word of 2020, really, but none of us have ever experienced anything like this, you know, so we've had to think really quickly on our feet. I mean, 130% increase year on year is some figure. You know, and we're in the middle of Black Friday week now, running into Cyber Monday, which is a huge week for us and one that we, you know, we plan for well in advance, you know, in in quarter one of of each year, we plan for for this Black Friday week. And then that comes into what we call our traditional peak season, you know, where we see huge uplift in volumes. But now we have the added pressure of COVID in the mix. And I suppose, you know, when we went into level five, we did see that kind of, I think there was a panic amongst consumers around getting their items for Christmas, etc. So again, huge surges. So we acquired a new site in Dublin to assist us with the surge in volumes. We have an additional thousand vans on the road, have doubled our network of trucks, and we've hired an additional 700 people as well to help us uh, through this time. So, I mean, there's huge pressure on logistics, uh, you know, across the, the, the world at the moment, you know, you, you hear it in Europe, the, you know, there's hauliers, there are huge numbers of vans and trucks that are in demand. So it is a challenge, but we have a system in place that will allow us to cope with this extra pressure, make sure that customers aren't let down, that they get their, their items that they've purchased in a timely manner. We've just heard how the Irish and European markets are coping with these changing dynamics. But what about the US? The size of the country means retailers need a truly scalable solution to delivering their online goods to real-world postboxes. Here's Sandy with his thoughts. You know, one of the uh, 5,000-pound gorilla in the room that we didn't talk about, Amazon, (laughs) I think this speaks to a real interesting phenomenon that's occurring in retailing right now. And that has been that Amazon has had an advantage that they are now fighting for amongst some of the key retailers. As companies like Target and Walmart have been able to use their stores as micro distribution points, getting them closer to the customer, what we refer to as the last mile. Amazon is being forced now to play catch up and they're in the process of trying to create or find upwards of 1,000 to 1,500 micro distribution points like the stores that Target and Walmart have throughout our community to create an efficient way of dealing with that last mile. So we're finding in the United States that with a number of the department stores that have gone dark, we're imagining that in a lot of these centers, Amazon may in fact be taking over those spaces to become micro-fulfillment centers, to be as close to the customer in that last mile as Target and Walmart are. So we see Amazon playing catch-up in a way that they've never been dealing with that role. And that's kind of an unusual turnaround, as it were. (laughs) And it's expensive and it's ongoing. It's something that will continue to change and evolve as we meld new technologies with the whole consumer purchase process. Well, you mentioned new technologies there. I know in a recent piece for Forbes, you outlined some emerging products that would be of major interest to retailers. Could you tell us just a little bit about these and, and, and why you think they're important in terms of where they'll take e-commerce in the future? Uh, I think all the companies that you mentioned are basically all built on artificial intelligence and the ability that AI is creating and enabling new technologies to come to the fore. 
And these new technologies largely are based on empowerment. They're based on the consumer being able to do more with less in the store. And in most cases, these technologies become quite invisible. One of the more interesting parts of this discussion have to do with the store becoming far more intelligent, shall we say, where an example is at IKEA has created some a new experience in the United States in a showroom that doesn't offer any actual product to take home. It's completely about showcasing the product. And as the customer is able to make their way around the store, they might touch a product or begin to open a door or drawer and the pads or the video screens that are an immediate approximate area to that product suddenly comes alive and informs you of the benefits or features of that particular product. So in effect, the store is becoming the sales component, enabling the customer to learn more in a very seamless way. We're seeing companies like Omnivore involved in 3D holographic content where literally with our smartphone, we're able to suddenly have a 360 degree walk around of a hologram right in front of us demonstrating a specific outfit that we're contemplating uh, looking at And in some cases, that hologram is actually going to represent the size and the specific fit for the customer that is uh, looking at the item and is able to fully manipulate it 360 degrees to be able to turn around and see how the item is going to look from any angle as we're contemplating buying it. We're seeing that AR, augmented reality, is being used more and more, enabling a customer to take a picture of a space in their home, launch a laptop, import a desk or a chair, and drop that desk or chair right into the space in their home, uh, move it around and see it in actual reality of how it will uh, appear in uh, the home. These technologies are becoming as much a part of our shopping experience as trying a product on in the store and getting the right size to fit ourselves as it was in, in the past. And so we're seeing this fusion of new technology based on algorithms and a lot of data, AI, integrated into the whole customer experience and doing it seamlessly. There's so many ways that AI is knitted into our modern world, oftentimes without consumers even realizing that they're interacting with the technology. As we heard back in episode two, with all of these advances in technology, people still crave personalization. And although they're increasingly finding that level of service through online retail, it might not be coming from an actual person. Here's Avine again. From a delivery point of view, I think sustainability will be central to delivery in 20 years. It's already high in the agenda for our must, and we're in the process of electrifying our fleet. And we're also looking at packaging in an effort to provide recyclable, reusable packaging. So I think that that's going to be huge into the future. We might see drone deliveries and robots as well in the mix. So some warehouses already have robots working to fulfill items. So everything is going to be much faster as well in 2030. So you'll see same day deliveries. You'll see delivery companies operating on a 24-7 basis. I, I think that's where we're going. 
This all sounds very convenient and very futuristic. But if a drone is delivering our sun cream to the beach, then what about the physical store? Well, as we learned back in episode one, there's always going to be a place for them. Here's Des. I think it's going to be more of the same. There's still a place for bricks and mortar. There's no no doubt about that whatsoever, right? People still like the buying experience and to pick up the goods and feel them and see them. But you have to have everything. You have to have a whole omni-channel. You have to have things like Alexa, things like that are now going to become more and more prevalent. You know, they're going to, people are going to say, show me a, a, a dress in this size for a night out. And if yours not up there and you're not one of the, the profiles that come up in those queries and those kind, then basically you're going to really struggle to get those sales. I think in the shops, they're going to have to become more plush. You know, they're going to have the better surroundings, more seating areas. I think even pennies have moved away pre-lockdown that they're incorporating coffee shops and nail bars into their stores. I think more and more of those type of things are going to happen. Look, all those things now are the things that people are realising and doing to be able to enable us to get more and more money. Each time you want to be able to get as much euros out of somebody's pocket as you can every time they come to your store, and that's essential now. What's also essential now is to take stock. Throughout this series, we've heard from consumers, from retailers, delivery companies and the SaaS businesses involved in what is truly an extraordinary period for retail. From every group and throughout every theme we've looked at, there's been one key trend. And that is that we're really coming full circle on this. What looks like a revolution is really a renaissance. Traditional retail values are re-emerging Customer service, trust, personalization, and localization are what we as humans crave and what technology is able to bring us back to. Here's Sandy with some final words on what this might look like. We're seeing the store evolve to become virtual media as opposed to stocking space. And that kind of kinetic, always changing, higher value experience is going to become the touch point in the truest sense of the word touch for the consumer in a way that will still enable marketplace to take place because the nature of marketplace is so ingrained in our our culture in our humanity and marketplace going back thousands of years certainly many hundreds of years has been a place for people to gather and been a place for exchange and engagement and and consumption that gathering place has never been more important in the the past as it is now and and into the future. So there will continue to be places for gathering and places for marketplace, but they're going to take on a higher level of community, of engagement, of authenticity, of sustainability than they've ever, ever been before. And I think that we're going to see a virtual reinvention of what a lot of these shopping centers have been in the past to become truly more engaging and interactive and be a part of community sustaining. I think you're going to see a lot of these uh, centers that are going to go from parking lots back to parks I think we're going to see community gardens. You're going to see things like the ability for a particular grocery store to be able to support its produce based on hydroponic vertical gardens. Right now, the technology exists whereby a group of shipping crates that don't take up much more room than a small auto center in a regional mall would be enough to be able to support the needs of three or four grocery stores within a mere hundreds of feet 
of that shopping mall, such to the degree that the part of a regional mall could become the means whereby the vegetables are being grown that are being sold in the stores that are just, you know, moments away. It's those kinds of things that are incredibly exciting and really make me feel excited and optimistic of the future as we reevaluate what really matters and begin to reinvent the spaces and places that have been part of our culture and society but are now going to have a higher value and a more meaningful part of our community in the future and create meaningful connections for people that are going to be ever more important even if they will include the kind of social distancing that unfortunately may be part of our lives for some time in the future but it will all have positive and us optimistic life affirming components to it <laughs> Thanks for joining us for episode four of Shop, our four-part series looking at the retail and e-commerce landscape. The full series is now available to download if you haven't already listened. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom. We hope you'll join us.